Welcome to Unsung Stories, where we'll be chatting to unacclaimed mamas in the Christian world who love Jesus, are faithfully seeking to know and love God more and pointing their families to Him. I'm your host, Laura Smith, and I hope that you will find solidarity with a regular mum living out the gospel in regular ways and be encouraged in your own unsung story. Thanks for joining us. Hi there and welcome to another episode of Unsung Stories. Today's story with Alicia is a a bit of a tearjerker. Yes, even if it is the second, third, fourth time you listen. Alicia's mum passed away early into Alicia's motherhood journey and in this show she unpacks her heartache as she mothers without her mama. Alicia's perspective through her suffering is beautiful though. The way she clings to God is such an encouragement. And I hope and I trust that you'll be encouraged too. Why don't we just jump straight in and hear her story again? Thank you so much for joining us, Alicia. Hey, Laura. Nice to be here. Uh, Just so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit better, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your family and what everyday life looks like for you? Yeah, of course. So I've been married to the lovely James for about seven years. Uh, We live on the central coast of New South Wales with our two little girls. I'm the youngest of five kids and I grew up in a lovely, warm, generous Christian family. We go to our local evangelical church, which we love, and I'm currently on maternity leave, uh, but I'll be heading back to work soon as a nurse a few days a week at a local hospital. We like to spend our days at the beach or the park, or playgroups, church day groups, the garden at home, catching up with friends and kids and family. We somehow seem to pack a lot in, but um, we're still pretty strict on the 6.30 bedtime. Nice. <laughs> Generally, well. How old are your girls? One is 10 months old and the other is two and a half. And the yeah. 6.30 bedtime. I'm all for early bedtimes because the earlier they go to bed, they still wake up early. And the later they go to bed, they still wake up early. Yeah. So you might as well just enjoy that. Oh, thing. you could put them to go bed at 9 o'clock and they'd still be up at 5 o'clock oh, or something no. stupid. Um, anyway, so hoping they have a bit of a better sleep tonight. So the last few years have been pretty rough and hard for you. Would you feel comfortable sharing your story with us? Yeah, sure. So back in 2016, my husband and I, we were living in Sydney at the time, but we'd gone on a family holiday with my mum and dad and my siblings and their families. And while we were away, I remember chatting to my sister, who's also a nurse, and she'd noticed a few we both noticed some physical and cognitive changes in my mum. We ended up chatting to her and my dad about the need for mum going to go see a GP and potentially being referred to a neurologist. Yeah, they both agreed that just something wasn't right and they couldn't quite put their finger on it. Um, they got onto that quite quick and within a few weeks she'd been diagnosed with something called Parkinson's disease, which is a degenerative neurological disorder. We were all just devastated. But, you know, I stayed pretty positive and a lot of things were put in place, a lot of support to help mum and dad manage better. And we were pretty hopeful of her prognosis. It could have been 10, 15 years. We just didn't know. 
But as the months kind of went by, we realized that mum was progressing quite quickly and all the treatments that she was put on didn't seem to be that effective in controlling her symptoms. Pretty quickly, she had to stop work. She wasn't allowed to drive. Mum and dad had to move house and dad was essentially forced to retire so he could be my mum's carer, which was such a shift in roles for them. Like my mum was that lady who would just bend over backwards to help anyone. Mm. And she was she had such a servant heart. She was a mum to five kids. She didn't know how to sit down. She was just loved to serve. That was her love language. She just loved to serve people. So yeah, it was a big shift for my dad then to be um kind of take that role on as her carer. To see her deteriorate and just so quickly it was just heartbreaking. Not being able to do things she loved anymore and So that was in 2016? Yeah, so that mid-2016 was when she was diagnosed by the beginning of 17. It was becoming a lot more apparent that she was losing a lot of different functions, like her voice became really, really quiet and really, really difficult to understand. She was having a lot of falls and, yeah. She was just deteriorating faster than her initial prognosis? Yeah, absolutely, and we... Yeah, we didn't really, we weren't really sure what it all, what it, what that really meant, uh, what the kind of timeframes were, and but the the gist of it was that mum's body just wasn't responding to treatment, and it was essentially system by system starting to shut down. We knew it was closer to to months than years. So, what was happening for you and James during this time? Well, we had we'd moved closer to to be near family and we also welcomed our first daughter. I was a very anxious (laughs) pregnant woman. I naively thought that that would go away once I had the baby, which was just wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, anyone who's had their first knows it's just such an incredible shift in everything, in pace, in lifestyle, in what your day-to-day looks like. And I had a lot lot of trouble yeah, working out what that looked like for me, I guess, because so much of my time was spent visiting mum in different respites or, or going over to see on her, wor- like worrying about her. And I was very thankful to have a sister that my older sister, who she really took the reins on coordinating mum's care and really took on a huge amount of the burden, which I'm just incredibly, incredibly grateful for. And yeah, was just a very anxious mum with a dreadful lack of sleeping baby that I just, you know, your sleep deprived is enough. It's a huge shift becoming a mum and dealing with a baby and a newborn, let alone having this unimaginable and for you unprecedented grief. Mm. You hadn't experienced anything like that before. Yeah, so I almost felt like I didn't know myself because I didn't have the brain space to comprehend it. I couldn't keep up. Things were changing so quickly. I didn't really know how to be a new mum and a good daughter, and I just didn't know how to do any of it. Every part of my life just felt like it was just dropping away, and I felt like I was failing everything. <laughs> so one evening we We'd called an ambulance. My sister and I had decided to call an ambulance because mum's breathing had gotten quite bad and we just didn't think she could be managed at home comfortably. 
That was a really hard decision to make because we knew what would happen when she'd be admitted. She'd be there for weeks. She'd never wanted to be there. She just wanted to be at home. She agreed that it was best she went in as well. I was so sick. So at this point, I was about, I think I was about 11 weeks pregnant. When mum arrived at the hospital and she was assessed, they just told us that mum was in complete respiratory failure. And um, mum was still able to talk and make decisions at that point. And she voiced that she wished to have some help with her breathing and so she could say goodbye to loved ones and just give some time for my brother to come into state. We were all there for probably two days and... That's horrible, Alicia. So she could still talk and function normal. It's not like she... And it felt felt so strange. She was just sitting, like she was sitting in the hospital bed. And just, and it just seemed like, why is she worse than normal? Like, it didn't seem like that was it. It didn't seem real, to be honest. I remember calling James saying, we need you to come in, like, this is it. And, um... She was just sitting up in bed with oxygen on, like, talking. And, like, I think from my experience of looking after patients that we've been told are going to die, like, it could go on for a week. Like, you just don't know. And I just I just prayed that that wouldn't be the case, mm. that it wouldn't be really, really drawn out. And um, And we pretty much had a day of... Mum's hordes of friends coming in, which was lovely, and what's what Mum wanted to come in and say goodbye. And they'd only they were really respectful and only stayed for short periods of time. And then we just had a few family, and then and then by the evening of the second day, she, my brother was there. We were all there, and she kind of just told us that she'd had enough. Then she looked really tired. And that she was done and that she was ready to meet the Lord. And after all the oxygen and everything was taken away, she became unconscious quite quickly and died a few hours later. We were all with her. And I was just so thankful that we were able to say goodbye. We were able to talk to her for a bit. She was so difficult to understand, but... She had a little pen and a piece of paper on a tissue box that she was scribbling down things for, you know, for a year, well, maybe longer. We were so worried that she would fall and hit her head and she, or she would choke on something or that, that would be it. But we got to say goodbye. We were all with her. And she was so at peace. You know, she was just at a point where everything was just so much effort, so much effort. Everything that you could, any any minor movement or act just took such enormous effort for her. Yeah. And she was just ready to go. She home. was just ready. Did you want to take a minute? Yeah, no, I'm okay. I'm all right. I've been doing a lot of crying. <laughs> this is, I feel like it comes and goes. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so fresh still, Alicia. Oh, it's so fresh. And I feel almost like I was thinking about this earlier, like when when people we know lose someone, we have it in the forefront of our mind, I think for I reckon about a year. And then once you've hit that kind of first year anniversary, 
as someone who's not directly involved, you kind of, I guess you forget. But I don't know. I'm not really sure if it gets easier and I'm okay with that because I love thinking about mum and I love talking about her. And if I'm sad, it's just because I miss her. Yeah. And that's okay. That's normal. And, and yeah, and that, like... I think people sometimes, I think, feel afraid to ask or they're worried that if they bring her up that they'll upset me or, or, or someone. But, like, I actually really love talking about her. Yeah. To hear someone else say her name. Yeah. It's, I think, really nice to know that other people are thinking about it too. Yeah. And I know they do because, like, yeah, a lot of her friends at church will come up to me Yeah, ask me how they're going because I think – for a lot of them, it's, it feels fresh for them too. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I think there's something really nice, other people acknowledging that she's still on my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Something she's to your mum. You love yeah, her. Yeah. And it's almost like even though more time is going on, the longer I'm a mum, the more I miss her. Hmm. The more I think of questions I want to ask her or wondered what she did at this stage or wanted to know what I was like at that age or mm-hmm. things that things that you just yeah you ask your mum then so from the time of her initial diagnosis she died less than three years later and this was all in about uh July 19 yeah and to be honest after the shock of it all I, I think I just went into kind of survival mode and I would just almost not let myself think about it too much and then you know of course we know how that rest of that year kind of panned out with bushfires and floods and uh, (laughs) followed up with coronavirus yeah so and a baby and and a baby so when we welcomed baby number two in February 2020 when she was about five days old we actually got the keys to our first home, which um, my husband then spent the next six weeks renovating with mountains of help. Oh, and these, and they weren't even like fun, cute renos. They were like, we need to make this safe and livable. Yeah, I remember we moved in on the Saturday and the stage three restrictions came in on the Monday. And I was just this grumpy, angry mom with a newborn who wouldn't, sleep and didn't want to be put down and a toddler whose world had been turned upside down whose behavior was just atrocious like really bad um then james who was a teacher was doing remote learning from our tiny two-bedroom house and it was just chaos in the men i think after a few weeks things started to kind of settle restrictions eased up a bit and and yeah, we celebrated Mother's Day, our eldest turning two, mm. and then the anniversary of mum's death came around and it just felt like this huge wave of new grief mm. just came raining down. Mm. And at times I just felt it just felt so overwhelming. I just I felt like I couldn't breathe. I couldn't mm. And it would, it would happen when it was quiet, when I was doing the washing up, when I was in the car and the girls were asleep. And I would just cry and cry and cry. I just couldn't comprehend that life had gone on without her. And that I was just, I was raising these two girls without her there. 
And I just grieved just the terrible suffering she went through and just the pain and the loss she felt too. Knowing, being so aware of what was happening to her and knowing what she was going to be missing out on. And it just felt like, it was like the dust had just settled and I was finally allowing myself to just grieve and it just all came out. And mm. honestly, and I, I think that's kind of where I'm still at. <laughs> yeah. How has all of this grief affected your relationship with God? Oh, I don't think I'd be the first person to say that I felt God's presence in my life the most when I've just absolutely been like just brought to my knees. <laughs> And I think the grief of mum's deteriorating and her dying has just pushed me to find comfort in his promises and a deep desire to find rest in his presence as mum did. And and honestly, I have had an easy life. Like I am a white middle-class woman. I have a beautiful family. I went to high school. I went to university. I have a secure employment. I can freely worship. I can go to church. Like I'm super comfortable. And I think, yeah, when things we find security in just evaporate from beneath us, we tend to kind of look up and beyond. Yeah. <laughs> and we read like in Ecclesiastes 3 that like the Lord has placed eternity on our hearts. Mm. But our hearts are so sinful and corrupt and we're so easily distracted. When we have a beautiful life, things are easy and we kind of just, you know, plot along. But when things are kind of pulled beneath you, it was like the first time I truly earnestly prayed, like, come, Lord Jesus, come. Yeah. And it's not that that I wanted to die or anything. I just, it was the first time I could so clearly see this huge fracture in the world that Jesus came to mend. And I just wanted things to be how he planned them to be, where there isn't death and where our feet don't stumble or our bodies don't fail us. We have a a God that wants us to be gathered under him in, Mm. in the perfection of the new creation. And he made that possible through Jesus. You know, and as Christians we talk about, longing to be in his presence and we pray that his kingdom comes but do we really like feel the brokenness and the sin of the world and the weight and the burden of that Mm. and the reason that it needs restoring or are we kind of like yeah sounds good but i've just i've got a trip to byron coming up so can we just like i come lord but can you wait till after that like we just we're very comfortable and i feel like this just kind of rocked me off my pedestal. Really showed where your foundations, <laughs> yeah. foundations were. Yeah. What have you learned about God through all of this season? Oh, oh, that his plan will prevail, that he's faithful and trustworthy and good, even mm. when we don't always understand why. Mm. I have no doubt that my mum is with the Lord that she's mm. healed and she's whole mm. with him. And it wasn't because she was the perfect mom and had the perfect life and was faithful 100% of the time. That that makes it about her, but it, it wasn't about her. It was about what Jesus did for her. Mm. And she knew that to just the very core of her being. 
even in all her frailties and brokenness. He just wanted her to be in a relationship with him and that's what he wants from us too. And isn't that just like the good news of the gospel and the freedom that we enjoy, that it's not about what we do and don't do, but it's just completely what Jesus has done. Oh, I mean, reflecting on lots of the Bible, but in, in particular um, on Lazarus's death and his resurrection, the fact that even though Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus and he knew that one day we'll all be raised, he still wept for his friend. Mm. And I take a lot of comfort in the fact that, you know, Jesus was fully man and fully God, a great high priest that can empathize with us. What have you learned about yourself during this time? I think that I'm just in desperate need of a saviour. Mm. Yeah, I just can't do it on my own. When I was in labour with Bonnie, I remember reciting Psalm 121 over and over. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And I need to constantly be lifting my gaze and not just shuffling with my head down. I want those desires to 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 match those of the Lord, and I long for that new creation. But at times I think I find it hard to reconcile longing to be in his perfect presence, but also loving good things in the world that he's given us. But I think I've just come to realize that I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like God made this world. He called it good, but it was, you know, broken by the fall. But it was his plan to have us here and now for his good purpose. And all these good things are from him as well. Mm. And I know mum didn't want to miss out on these good things. She wanted to see her grandkids grow up. and But she also had a deep conviction of the truths. I have Psalm 73 engraved in my forehead that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Mm. And God put us here now. We need to work hard. Work is good. Like we are made to work. And as mums, we work hard all the time. <laughs> Unrelenting. Unrelenting. And, yeah, we're also called to work hard and be faithful in preaching the word, preaching the gospel. Has this grief and your loss changed your life priorities? Oh, yeah. It's bothered me now more than ever how opposed our culture is to talking about death. It's very dismissive and there's very little room, I guess, for like public mourning. (laughs) Everyone just wants you to pull the boots on and, you know, get on with it. So in a way, I think I feel really blessed that I've been confronted with it. My hand has kind of been forced to no longer approach life with complacency, I guess. You know, I'm not the first person to lose a parent. You don't have to look far to see someone whose dad has cancer or families that have been separated or, you know, parents that have lost babies. There's just so much brokenness in the world. And I think because of it, I feel so much more empathetic and see the need for other people to have that, like, restoring nature of and just to be able to grieve well and to grieve with hope. Mm. And I think, like I mentioned earlier, you know, like we bought a house, which I'm super thankful for. And I know that's like we're an extremely privileged position. And besides the fact that it does actually look like a tent, it's it's just that, a wind and rain shelter. We know we need to be good stewards of what we've been blessed with. 
but I think we're super conscious that it's just wood and a bit of metal and asbestos. <laughs> but, you know, like it could be destroyed overnight and we can't take it with us. Like even this Sunday we were reading 2 Corinthians 5 and I might just read it. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groaned, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. By he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. Oh, I think it's given me a real boot up the bum regarding ministering to my own girls and James to speak the gospel into their lives hour after hour, day after day. Puts life in perspective. Oh, man. Alicia, has there been anything comforting in God's Word that you've just clung to during this time? Yeah, so I've been working my way through the book of Job, which really sings to a weary soul. It's such a great book, and I think people kind of sidestep it, thinking it's a bit depressing or get put off. But, you know, essentially God allows everything to be taken from Job. And Job kind of goes back and forth saying how confident he is that God is just and wise and other moments he doubts God's goodness and he's got some few dodgy friends show up and give him some bad advice. But at the end of the dialogue, Job kind of just demands God comes and defends himself. But God doesn't really give Job an answer. Instead, he kind of just outlines who he is and who Job isn't. He shows Job how grand the world is and how vast his understanding of it is. And from Job's perspective, it seems like God isn't just. But from God's perspective, things are just infinitely bigger. So in actual fact, it seems pretty crazy that Job is asking God to kind of explain himself when there's no way for Job to even understand all these things if he wanted to. So Job, yeah, is kind of left in this place of humility and he never really learns why. He loses everything, but, you know, continues to live in peace and fear of the Lord Mm. and that he can trust in God's wisdom, um, which is a real comfort. And in in that God is kind Mm. because who is Job to stand before God and be demanding and question, though we do do that? Yeah. uh, Yeah. God didn't didn't say, who are you to talk to like I do to my (laughs) Yeah. Why do you talk to me like that? That's really rude. Have some respect. Mm. God said, this is who I am. Mm. I am God. Yep. Yep. And Job's kind of left humbled. Mm. And God doesn't tell him why it all happened. And he's 
yeah, he's kind of just left with this newfound peace and fear of the Lord. (laughs) Which is similar to what we go through because even when we go through this grief and we come to God with it and we ask for the answers and we don't get them, Mm. we kind of are left hanging Mm. in a similar way. Yeah, we so badly just want the reason we want we want to be god we like it goes right back to the garden of eden we ate the fruit because we want to be in control and we want to be all knowing and we want to be god mm. and we still in our grief come back to that we want the answers and we want to know mm. and we have to rest in god being god and his goodness and the truths and the promises that he's given us about himself and his character mm. but rest in him and his Authority. Yeah. I love that this stuff is, it's included in the Bible. It's not omitted because it's messy and uncomfortable and hard. It's that we can, we can see believers struggling and asking God for answers and searching and in pain because yeah, we're, we're still people. We still have, I mean, no one's chasing us in the desert, but <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but yeah, we still, we still have these longings that we want to inquire of God and lay before for him um, and that that's okay and that yeah. God just wants us to be able to come to him with those things and yeah and rest in in his faithfulness to us mm. and yeah it's cool that you can kind of see that the the psalmists often land in that as well they're like mm. but we're okay <laughs> towards the end <laughs> yeah. Alicia as you've been talking in all your grief and despair you've just so clearly seen God through that I think even at the beginning you were saying you know when you're on your knees all you could do is look up. Do you have any advice for both the people who are going through a season of grief and suffering like yourself, but also for the uh, maybe a caution for the person who's in a season of thinking that life is just sweet and cruisy? Yeah, I guess word of warning, don't rest in that comfort. <laughs> also, praise God, we go through seasons. So if you're in a cruisy one, maybe maybe you need to be utilizing it to prepare to love those around you well who are going through a tough time. Like make yourself available, cook them meals, buy them hand cream, read the Bible with them, send them thoughtful messages, <laughs> remind them of God's promises like to his people. I think there's this, this is really excellent book actually. I don't know if you're in the business of spooking, but I actually read this with mum. Like this is just my mum like reading a book about how to care for people while she was bed bound. <laughs> and we would read it together when I would go visit her in hospital, when, just when she was in hospital. And it's called Together Through the Storm, A Practical Guide to Christian Care by Sally Sims. Just that book, you want to have the pen and you want a, a really helpful way to be practical, loving Christian brother or sister. And I guess, again, like just don't put your hope in things that will rust and fade and don't be complacent. Live with urgency, like Jesus is coming and we will all live forever somewhere. And I pray that if you're a believer, you sincerely look into what that actually means so that you can be spurred on with that knowledge to know where you're heading, like what the goal is, you know, Jesus's purpose for his people is. And I guess at the moment, especially with COVID and over a long, long period of time, while we weren't able to meet together as believers, like I really hope that we felt the pain of that because 
I really, church is just, it's a glimpse of that, isn't it? It's its believers meeting together to bring glory to God. Mm. And that's heaven. Like, we're going to be doing it for eternity. <laughs> like, that should be something you are grieving that we're not able to do and to, to long to want to do that together. And what about the mum who's heartbroken? Oh, I don't have the answers, but I'm so thankful that we've been given the Holy Spirit and that we have the Bible that does. We just need to be surrounding ourselves with loving, careful, wise women that will care for you. And yeah, I think just acknowledge that you also need to care for yourself. (laughs) And I know I found that really hard when you're spending all day trying to keep small children alive. In the evening, you just want to zone out and not really (laughs) do anything of much value, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, push back against that. But yeah, really... um, Give yourself space to feel those big emotions yeah. and grieve. Yeah, cry and cry and cry if that's helpful for you. And, yeah, I think as well if you're needing external help to see someone and talk with someone about where you're up to, don't let things get out of hand. I know yeah. I'm guilty of that. But, yeah, it's tricky to care and love your family when you're falling apart at the seams. Be in community, in your church. If you have a women's group, let women just surround you with love and when people offer to make you food just say yes don't try to be brave and whatever just say yes let people love you and care for you keep going to that god of comfort yeah yeah dear heavenly father thank you that you are the god of comfort that you bind up the brokenhearted Please surround those who are suffering with your love and with, um, with practical hands that can hold them and care for them. When we have weary hearts, help us to rejoice at the gift that is Jesus. I'm sorry we're quick to forget your goodness. Help us to be so deeply immersed in your word that we just bleed the gospel help us to have a deep desire to be with you and to to long for the things that you long for help us to to pray that your kingdom comes lords lord and lord thank you for mums thank you for the gift that they are thank you for my mum for the woman she was and that I had her for the time that I did help us to be mums that love you and want our kids to love you too (sighs) give us the wisdom to seek you in everything that we do thank you for your goodness to us and that you're good all the time no matter what happens in your precious name we pray Amen Amen